All right, folks, I know that you may be thinking, is evangelism the only thing that Brother Steve ever wants to talk about? <laughs> and it is not. Um, it is just an area where we are, are really bad and we need to get a lot better. Uh, if we were saying, you know, if we said, hey, I don't think we should have any uh, time of music worship, then I'd be, I'd be challenging that and I'd be preaching some about that. Uh, if you said, hey, we don't need more than uh, a five-minute sermon because it's not very important, then I'd probably be harping on that. The thing that we uh, have fallen short in is our commitment to evangelism. So that's why, one reason anyway, that I talk about it fairly often. We really need to shore up this area. Another reason is, of course, that we have Hearts for the Lost coming on November 16th. And I want to give you a million reasons to come to Hearts for the Lost. So let's start with the fact that there is work to be done. Matthew 9, 37 through 38 says, Then he said to his disciples, and this is Jesus speaking, He said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, folks, the laborers are few indeed, but why is that? It's because we, the church, have dropped the ball and been absolutely derelict in our duty in this one area. Now, I don't want to sit here and beat us up about that because we can't go back and fix it. I mean, there's nothing we can do about the fact that we have failed in the past. Instead, we need to repent and go forward. Remember, though, what repentance is. You know, sometimes you talk about repentance and people think that's saying that you're sorry for something. But again, I don't know why when I talk about smacking somebody, I use Buddy, but I did it last time, so I'll do it again. So if I went up to Buddy and, and punched him in the face, I could say, oh, I'm really sorry. And he is such a nice guy that he might forgive me instead of whoop me. But if I then did it again three minutes later, I think he would think I'm insincere, and then he'd have to whoop me, right? So repentance is not just saying you're sorry. Repentance is... Something that you decide you're going to change with God's help. And then that leads to a change of behavior. So repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. So I don't want us to beat ourselves up about the past because there's nothing to be gained by dwelling in the past. But instead, let's joyfully and purposefully go forward doing the right thing. We can, by God's grace and your decision, become a church that regularly seeks out and engages the lost. Folks, it's, uh, it's unusual. It's really unusual. But it's something we can do. All we have to do is decide, I am 100% submitted. And I know that's almost a dirty word in our culture, isn't it? Submission is something nobody wants to do. Uh, we uh, Americans have a lot of great qualities, but one of the qualities we have that is strongest is our autonomy. Boy, we want to we be the boss. And folks, that's not how the Christian life works. Um, the, a lot of the writers of the epistles will say, hey, uh, you know, this is James, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, or that could be considered slave. So folks, 
We are free from sin, praise God. But in order to be free from sin, we have to be enslaved to Christ. But once you know Christ, you say, that's okay. I don't mind being his slave. So we're going to have to actually repent of our inactivity, change our mind, and begin going a new direction. But we can do it. Uh, you, You may say, hey, I've never been in a church where a majority of the people were actively seeking out and engaging the lost. I haven't. And I've been in some really good churches. <laughs> I grew up in Bellevue Baptist Church, one of the flagship churches of the, of the SBC. Um, Dr. Adrian Rogers was instrumental in leading the conservative resurgence. And yet, I have never been in a church where the majority of people took their responsibility to share the gospel seriously. So yeah, we're going to be a weird church, but praise God, we'll be weird in a good way if we'll do it. Now, if you're not able to physically walk out and knock on doors in this neighborhood, that is okay. There is more than one way to skin a cat, as that weird saying goes. Is that talking about a catfish? I don't know, because skinning a cat in any way would be weird, wouldn't it? So, uh, speaking of fish, are any of you avid fishermen or fisherwomen? Anybody? Okay, we got one. Uh, You know, Matthew 4, 19, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I am not much of a fisherman, but I do know this. If you want to have fish for dinner, you do not wait for them to come to your house and throw themselves in the skillet. All right? I got that much down. But what if we make our skillet really attractive? Um, You know, what if we offer uh, great coffee and really cool music? (laughs) Right? I'm not opposed to great coffee and really cool music at all. Those are great things. Uh, They help younger people feel more comfortable in the church. So there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not going to get lost people in here. Okay? Now, it might get some lost people who are used to going to church to come in here. But the lost folks that are at home have no desire for the things of God, no desire uh, to be with the people of God. If we have the hippest music and the best tasting coffee, they're not going to get up and come here. So that's not how you fish. We have to be proactive, guys. We can't sit here and wait for the fish to jump into the church house. I think that we can and should go after them, as the Great Commission tells us to, with the best ideas that we can find. One of those ideas is hospitality. Hospitality in our homes. If you look in the scripture, you'll see that one of the requirements for an elder is hospitality. I think there's something really important in that, and we'll talk about it more next week. Together, we can grow this church if we will all row the same direction. Step one, okay, now this is not the end of the line. Step one is coming to Hearts for the Lost. If we're going to fish for men, we need to learn how to fish for men, right? Step two will be implementing strategies to get us together with the fish. Now, there are different strategies to carry this analogy further and further. Uh, we can fish from the bank. We can fish in the boat. We can fish with a net. We can fish with a rod and reel. We can do different things to try to get us together with the lost people, and we need to employ every single one of them. Now, remember that what I'm talking about when I say this hearts for the lost thing is just a beginning 
is that we need to come, we need to be inspired, we need to be motivated, we need to be equipped. But guys, if we get inspired, motivated, and equipped, and then don't do anything, we're still not going to catch fish. Uh, I could go to Bass Pro and get all kind of wonderful fishing equipment, and if I brought it home and stuck it in my closet and never did anything with it, it wouldn't help, would it? So that's not what we're going to do. Hearts for the Lost is going to be the beginning of a tide of obedience for us. This is my dream, and this is what I've been praying for. Number two, not only do we have work to do, Jesus has commanded you to do it. Have you ever, as a parent, (laughs) and I learned that this doesn't work, have you ever made this mistake? You've got some kids in your house, and you say, somebody take out the garbage. You ever tried that? I guarantee you, 100%, that garbage isn't getting taken out. You know why? (laughs) Because you didn't specify. So, if I say, guys, we are supposed to lead people to Christ, then if we're not careful, what you will hear is, the pastor said that you are supposed to lead somebody to Christ, right? That's how we think. It's somebody else's job. Let me, let me prove to you that that is incorrect. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Remember, we're not going to sit in here. We go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to his disciples, right? Are you his disciple? If you are, then he's talking to you. Now, maybe he was just talking to those guys who were actually standing there. Okay? I mean, that's who he was physically talking to, right? So let's, let's say that he was just talking to them. All right, he said to them, teaching them, those who, who come to the faith after, teaching them to observe all, everything, all that I have commanded you. Okay? So even if he was just talking to them, you know what he told them? He said, go tell them to do what I just told you to do. Okay? So one way or the other, he's talking to you. If you're his disciple, he's talking to you. And if you say, nah, he was just talking to those guys. Well, fine. He told them to go tell you to do everything that he told them to do. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, as if this was not clear enough, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. All right, who was Paul talking to? Specifically the saints in Corinth, because this is in the Corinthian letter. But by necessary logical extension, he is instructing all of those who have been reconciled to God to be reconcilers. 
Have you been reconciled to God? In other words, are you saved? If you are, then he has given you a job to do. And that's where we get back to the take out the trash analogy, right? Who's supposed to take out the trash? Well, you don't know if you don't specify. He specified. He said he's given the ministry of reconciliation to all those of us who have been reconciled. So if you are saved, feel free to put your name right there. He is talking to you. But here's some good news. You don't have to do it alone. We need each other to do an effective job of winning the lost in Laurel. Most churches are like a football stadium on a Saturday in the fall, okay? There are a few people that desperately need rest, and there are a ton of people that desperately need exercise, okay? That's what most of our churches look like. There are a few people working themselves to death, and a whole lot of people sitting there and watching. We cannot effectively obey the Great Commission if that's what we're going to do. We can't do that. We have got to get every individual in the game. But again, you don't have to do it alone. There'll be a temptation to think that you cannot do it. Um, Maybe you need a special gifting or a special ability or a special education, right? The only thing you need to do is be willing to do what your master tells you to do. Now, that's really hard truth. I understand that. Guys, there have been uh, seasons of my life, long seasons of my life, where I was very disobedient to the Great Commission, very disobedient in my personal evangelism. So if that kind of smacks you that it's really hard truth, I understand. You have to decide if you will or will not do what the Lord tells you to do. I mean, I wish I could soften, I wish I could soften that, but I can't. He says, go make disciples, and we sit here and we say, are we going to do what we're told or are we not going to do what we're told? I mean, that sounds harsh, but it is what it is. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, oh, this this is going to sting. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I know folks that say, hey, um, I love Jesus, but I don't have to come to church. I have a relationship with him. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to go and and try to talk people into being a part of the faith. I don't need to do any of that. But I love Jesus. Jesus says, no, you don't. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. That's hard, hard truth. But let me encourage you to face it boldly and make your choice. Success is guaranteed to us. John 10, 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, who was he talking to? He was talking to a bunch of Jewish people, right? And he said, I've got sheep that aren't of this fold. So what's he talking about? He's talking about you and me. He's talking about uh, Gentiles. And then he says, I must bring them also. And check this out. This is why I say we're guaranteed success. He says, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. All of Christ's sheep have not yet been found. They are out there. You're not called to change their hearts. That that job is above our pay grade. We can't do it. Ezekiel 11.19 says this, And I will give them one heart. And a new spirit I will put within them. 
I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So see, guys, we don't have to talk them into the kingdom. We have to witness to them. And then God says, I will change their heart. We're called to testify. We don't even have to be expert witnesses, okay? So if there's somebody amazingly gifted in evangelism and, uh, and with a great personality and with a great way of speaking about them, they may be a little more expert witness than me or than you, but we're not called to be expert witnesses. We just have to relate the experience of forgiveness and redemption that has happened to us and tell them how it can happen to them. The heart surgery is for the Lord to accomplish. Now, in business, you'll hear folks talk about uh, lead metrics and lag metrics. I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about, but lead metrics are things that you can change, behaviors that you can do that will lead to good results. And those lag metrics are just measurements of the results. So, for instance, um, Melissa tells me, you know, we are supposed to give X many flu shots per week at work. I think that's a strange way to approach it. If I were a Walgreens executive, I would say you are required to offer X many um, shots per week. I wouldn't say you're required to give this many. Because if I go in Walgreens and I want to pick up some cough drops and the pharmacist starts chasing me down with a needle about to jab it in me and give me a shot, I'm not going to like that very much. They can't control how many they give. They can control how many they ask to give, right? And so the lead metrics are the things that we need to work on. We need to get to where we are getting in front of lost people one way or another. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of ways. We need to get in front of lost people, and we need to share the gospel with them. The Lord doesn't require that you produce X number of people who are saved through your testimony. Thank God, because we can't do that. But we can do what we can control. Now, I wish we could make people be saved. Uh, Man, if we could, I'd be doing it (laughs) all the time. But we can't do it. We can't make people come to church either. But we can work on the ideas that we glean from other churches that see results, right? We can't make people come to church with us. We can talk to them about it. We can pray for them about it. Uh, We can do other things regarding that hospitality that I was talking about to attract them to the church. We can do those things, and we can control those things. So that's what we need to be busy about. And it's the same way with witnessing. We can't say, I'm going to make sure that two people get saved this month because of my testimony. We don't have that control. But we can make sure we get in front of two people and give them the plan of salvation. So success is guaranteed if we will testify of the gospel. Because that is all we are called to do. Please commit to attend Hearts for the Lost conference. Please prioritize that above everything else that one day. Number four thing that I hope will encourage you to do this is Jesus is the only salvation. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there are a lot of nice folks out there. Um, I think we've all met some Jehovah's Witnesses and, that are some of the nicest folks we know. But they're dead in their trespasses and sins without repentance and faith in the biblical Jesus. Right? Just like every single other person. Some people think that it's not... It's not cool for God to have only one way of salvation. Uh, They think that he shouldn't be that narrow. There should be numerous ways. 
The truth is that it is, it is astonishing that our holy God would provide any way for a sinful, rebellious creature like me to be saved. That is what is amazing. Not that there aren't a bunch of ways. There's only one true way, and those of us who know it are called to tell other people. You know, we've been entrusted with the words of life and the one true way of salvation. We must not keep that to ourselves. You know, in this age of relativism, people sometimes pretend to think that we all get our own personal truth. I don't know if anybody actually believes that. Uh, You know, I don't see people who believe in this uh, business about how what's true for you is good, but it's different from what's true for me. I don't see those people walking, you know, into a busy interstate and saying, what is true for me is that an 18-wheeler that's speeding along and hits me won't hurt me. Um, They don't do that because they know better. (laughs) They know that truth is truth. Um, If they did that, they might not live long enough to find out they were wrong, but, but an onlooker would, right? I don't see people going in the bank and saying, you know, what's true for me is that I'm going to be able to walk through this big steel door and take all the money. You know, people know that truth is truth when it gets down to concrete things. When they say, well, your truth is yours and mine's mine, they're talking about things they don't actually believe in. So you may run across people who don't believe in hell, but that will not stop them from going there. It's not rude or impolite or meddlesome of you to warn people to flee from the wrath to come. Guys, if you know that the bridge is out down the road and you stop, it's not normally polite for us to honk at people. It's not normally polite for us to jump in front of their car and wave at them, is it? But if the bridge is out, I guess you better be proactive and take some, uh, some actions to show them there's a problem ahead. You know, if you're, if, if you're lying around on the beach, it would be rude of you to start yelling at the people in the water to get out of the water. But if you see this big old dorsal fin coming at them, you better start yelling at them, right? So we are called to warn people to flee from the wrath that's to come. Now, we don't have to do it in a weird way. We don't have to be awkward. We don't have to run grab their lapels and say, are you saved? We don't have to do that. But we do have to get together with them and show them the truth. Now, it takes a little bit of work. It takes some relationship building. And that's the hard part, guys. But we can do that. And if we make it a team effort, it won't even, all, it won't even be all that hard. Number five, you were given the Holy Spirit for this purpose. Acts eight says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are to live our lives yielded. Again, there's that submission thing that is so hard for us, right? We are to live submitted to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's main role, as far as I can understand, is bringing praise and worship to Christ. What could be more glorifying to Jesus than telling people of the story of his life and his death and his resurrection to someone so that they can be saved? If you don't have the desire to be the Lord's ambassador, let me give you some real practical advice. Uh, Pray for the desire. And I'm I'm not saying if you don't have the desire to witness to people, oh, you're a horrible person, you're probably not even saved. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you don't have the desire to see other people come to Christ, pray for that desire. God gave us the role of ambassador. If you're saved, you're an ambassador. 
You don't get to pick. <laughs> you don't get to say, no, Lord and master of the entire universe, uh, I'll choose not to do that. No, he's the boss, okay? He gave you the job of ambassador. It's yours if you're saved. Now, if you don't want it, I understand. Pray, pray that you will want it. You know, we do, uh, we do what we want to do. <laughs> we always do what we want to do. Um, now, you may say, well, yesterday I got mugged, and a guy came up with a gun, and he said, give me your wallet. I, I, did, I wouldn't want to give him my wallet, but all things considered, I would want to give him my wallet, right? Because <laughs> if I said, do I want to give him my wallet, or do I want to get shot? Hmm, all of a sudden, I desire to give him my wallet, right? So ultimately, we do what we want to do. So if you're here today, and you say, I know I should be a witness for the Lord, But if I'm being really honest, I don't want to pray, pray to the Lord and tell him that it's not. He already knows, right? You're not going to reveal some truth to him. So tell him and then pray that you will have the desire to do exactly what he wants you to do. Number six, people won't be saved without hearing the gospel. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says this. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and that doesn't just mean what I'm doing it means what you're doing when you talk to him and share the gospel and how are they to preach unless they're sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who are preach the good news have you ever heard the quote preach the gospel at all times use words if necessary anybody heard that that quote is commonly credited to St. Francis of Assisi. Number one, there is no evidence that he ever said any such thing. <laughs> Number two, it's ridiculous advice that runs contrary to Scripture. If the sentiment is that you should live a life that backs up your proclamation of the gospel, I'm on board, okay? The problem is with that quote that words are always necessary for someone to be saved. All right, no matter how I live my life today, Let's say I go to Walmart and there's this little old lady in front of me that can't pay for her groceries and I take out my wallet and I pay for her groceries. No matter what nice things I do today, the person behind me is not going to come up to me and say, I observe from your behavior that Jesus Christ died for my sins, (laughs) that he rose on the third day and that he offers his righteousness to me And I can place my sins on him and they will be paid for on the cross. And I can then have fellowship with God. That's not going to happen, right? Words are always necessary to communicate the gospel. Number seven, evangelism is necessary for your growth in Christ. Philemon 6 says this, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for all the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In order to grow in Christ, you've got to obey him. Now, as we've seen, in order to obey him, you have to be attempting to make disciples who make disciples. All right. Now, the enemy does not want us to become obedient in this area. He will start warring against us if we do this. Um, He doesn't care, guys. He doesn't care if we huddle in here and mind our own business and then we die. He doesn't care. It's not hurting anything. It's not affecting anybody. But if we start going, like the Great Commission says, going and getting in front of lost people 
and seeking to be fishers of men, he's not going to like that. He will care if revival breaks out. So pray for unity and pray for revival. Guys, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And y'all hang on just a second before you come up. But let me tell you, in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 31, it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So in light of the sermon today, if you realize that that you have a responsibility that you have neglected, now is the time to repent of that. If you need to repent, let me urge you to repent all the way. Uh, Remember, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Now, the church may have failed you in this area, and I freely admit that. Uh, we, We have failed you by not stressing this responsibility, by not equipping you and not providing opportunities for you. And some of you say, may say, no, it's been stressed, I've been equipped, and I've had opportunity. Okay, but for some of us, I think we have failed to, to motivate you, to equip you, and then to give you opportunities. But where you knew this was your job and you just chose not to do it, let's repent, let's all repent of that.